Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. If this is your first time joining Blog Talk Radio, please push the little button and follow me and you can get a notification every single week when the show comes on. I will open the lines in the second half of the show, and I know tonight is a show that you will most likely want to call in to discuss. Now, following the show, you can continue this discussion on the Afrogenius.com a website and group page, and my Facebook page, Research at the National Archives and Beyond. In fact, please like both pages. Well, tonight's show will discuss, a, I'm going to just put it out there, a very difficult topic. Um, you know, do you remember we had a discussion about artificial brick walls with Robin Smith? Well, we're going to go into some records. There's going to be probably records that you have never looked at before. You see, we're getting beyond this safe genealogy. This is a, a, a term that uh, uh, Antoinette Harrell has used, safe genealogy. We're, we're, we're getting ready to take a step a little deeper into some records and at one point, we did discuss the records available through the Freedmen Bureau where you heard about complaints of individuals. And so tonight, we're going to get a little deeper. And so I'm happy to, to have author, lecturer, television, and radio host Antoinette Harrell for the discussion of her new book, The Department of Justice, Slavery, Involuntary Servitude, and Peonage. Now, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution outlaws slavery and certain forms of involuntary servitude. The Department of Justice files contain complaints made by persons of victims who were being held against their will or forced to work out debts 
through threats and intimidation by employers or others. Now, most of the victims were Negroes who were beaten to return to former employers to work off their debts. These files contain correspondences, memorandums, telegrams, newspaper clippings, transcripts or testimonies, FBI reports of investigations and indictments. So let me give a warm welcome to renowned genealogist Antoinette Harrell. Antoinette, welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Hi, Bernice, and thank you for having me as a guest on this show, and congratulations on your new book. Well, thank you so much. The memory keepers, we're all just dancing and excited that the book has come out. So, Antoinette, Mm -hmm. well, thank you so much. So, Antoinette, how and why did you get involved in examining records at the National Archives specifically from the Department of Justice? Well, Bernice, you know, when I first started, looking at my own family history, researching my own family history. And, of course, you meet people along the way. And sometimes the people that you meet is not always in your family. And it's people that may hear that you're conducting genealogy research. And this woman named May Louise Miller came up to me uh, over 13 years ago, and she started telling me about her family history, which that was the first time someone had told me they was held a slave. And so when May came up to me, she gave me names, places, where it took place, and I started to research the topic of penance everywhere I could find anything on it, and it led me to the National Archives. So I spent, I traveled to the National Archives in Washington, D.C. several times looking at these files, and out of all of my research that I had conducted in slavery, I must say that this was the most difficult records for me to look in. And, yes, they are difficult because I've read some of the the letters, and I, it, it is hard. It is hard, but, unfortunately, it's true. And so why should genealogists be interested in reviewing the Department of Justice records? Well, because it it has names associated with it. Uh, places, events, families uh, who was held on plantations in the form of sharecropping or tenant farmers, and it lists them by name. Some of the families that started out uh, signing their mark in with the female labor contracts, those families were on those plantations for decades. And so anytime there's a person's name, a place, a event, a time period, it's genealogy. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, why don't you, and and this is something that I, I, I really hope that you will do. First of all, tell us what states uh, did you find documents? Well, I found them in 17 states, 16 states, I'm sorry, um, but my focus basically was Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida. But there was North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Arizona, Missouri, Kentucky, uh, Virginia, 
as far as New York, um, Florida, Texas. And I have to tell you, the worst states that I found that's penetrating was the was Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida, Carolina. Mm-hmm. But the worst of all, Florida. Florida was by far the worst. Yes, Florida was by far the worst. So why don't you start with Florida and tell us why Florida was by far the worst, although simply because Pinnage existed, they're all bad. But what happened in Florida? Well, there was a turpentine camps there. Um, some of the people that tried to get away were scared to alligators. Lots of murders. Uh, although it took place in many places, but Florida was foremost the worst because of it, the the cases was very detailed as to what was going on with the people, how they were killing them. The mistreatment was really documented because Mary Quackenbos, the um, attorney for that area, uh, she filed a lot of court cases, and the court cases and the transcripts really described what some of the witnesses were saying or some of the people who had experienced uh, this hard labor, this convict leasing, all t- sorts of things. And Florida, simply because a lot of the immigrants that was coming through, through New York, uh, they had their uh, visa and they also had their passport taken away from them. And mm-hmm. a lot of people there that was foreigners uh, could not even speak the language. And so mm-hmm. they were tricked into coming to the United States looking for work. And many of them uh, was tricked to go down into Florida, and that was a very there was a lot of murders that took place down there. Mhm. Well, can you give us give us a time period of which you're finding the documents? Oh, it can be anywhere between 1900 to 1973. Uh, the latest index of reports came in was 1973. Most of the records that I have in my new book is anywhere up until 1945, and so mm-hmm. that was the period. So I focused a lot on the different cases that came in from the uh, complaints that came in from the NAACP, uh, the FBI reports, letters from the citizens, letters to the presidents of the United States, asking that slavery be abolished, this new form of slavery. And this new form of slavery, some authors call it worse than slavery, is because they would actually kill you trying to get away. Mm-hmm. That is just heartbreaking. Yes, it is. And, and and now let me tell you, it took me, it took me almost ten years just to put the book together because it was just very hard reading all of this um, what happened to people in the book. And so I would put it down, Bernice, and I would go back to it. Because it it was just a very painful subject, mm-hmm. reading how people was trying to to uh, get their freedom, and they was asking them to judge and anyone else to to free them. I think in the book it also well one of the files in the book basically said that one man uh, he was so afraid of running away and, and that they would get him and catch him and kill him, well they did kill him, and when they buried him, they went back and dug up his head and took 
his head because the agent, when she was reporting what was going on, uh, asked him to stay around to make the complaint. They said, they're going to kill me. Well, they uh-huh. did. And the only way the agent would be able to identify his body is by the clothes that he had on and the gold tooth that was in his mouth. Well, guess what? The people heard about it, went back and dug his head up and took his head so that the gold tooth wouldn't be able to identify him. But nevertheless, he was able to be identified by the clothing. Mm-hmm. Now that is sad, but you actually have... Uh, that level of detail in those documents. Oh yes, yes, and that was the intent to take the doc, take the letters of the documents I found, and just transcribe them for the book, and not adding a word or taking one word away. No corrections in the letters. The letters was just typed up and put in as it was in the Department of Justice files, uh, the Penis files, the record group. 60 at the National Archives. Mm-hmm. Now, is your book organized by state or by incident? By incident, by files, letters, uh, documents. Let's say, for, for example, here, the NWCP files. Well, I took those cases that the NWCP, those reports, and put them in one chapter. Uh, and it was just a little circuit of that because I have, like, Tens of, I mean, I have thousands of of um, records now that I have scanned, which basically is other books. So I can take now and have all of those documents um, and records by the NWCP on its own. The same mm-hmm. with the FBI reports, because some of those reports with the FBI may be 35 pages long. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what... The difference with these files is, is that so I can give you an example. One of the, the cases in the FBI files, not only did it give you a legal description of the person who was making the complaint, it gave you a description of the person who the complaint was made against. And I also found social social security numbers associated with some of those files, but I didn't put those in the book at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have the NAACP files, you have the FBI files. What other files do you have? Because these are all federal, I mean, although the NAACP is not a federal agency, but they reported to, to, right, they reported to to the Department of Justice, so therefore you have the NAACP uh, records. But in addition to the FBI files, what other files were uh, included in that Department of Justice uh, record group? Well, what I also found was letters to uh, three presidents. And so those letters was very important because I'm saying, oh, my goodness, they was writing Excellent presidents of the United States to free people, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Warren G. Harding, and Calvin Coolidge. Mm-hmm. There was also a letter from, um, written by, uh, it, was the ju- it was the governor of Mississippi, Earl Brewer, in 1915. You also have people that was writing on behalf of people who was held as slaves. So I have mm-hmm. letters, letters from citizens. I have the letters in there 
that was written to the President of the United States. Uh, we have the Abolish American, Abolish Penance in America. We have those files in the book. So now, what is Abolish Penance in America? That is that a group? Well, that was that was an organization that was uh, in Chicago in the 1940s, and they was also taking um, claims and writing up these reports and just uh, filing these complaints on behalf of the people. Now, one of the files that come to mind with me uh, when I speak about Chicago is when these two boys, Eco and Ico, they were the Abano twins, and they were captured by the circus, by the Clyde Pinion Circus, and used as circus slaves. Mm-hmm. And many times we, not, we never think about those kind of records. We have uh, letters from Mary Church Terrell, the journalist, uh, letters from the uh, complaints from the Choctaw Indian Nation. Um, there was women held in, in penance. And so mm-hmm. this is different chapters in the book, such as the railroad companies, uh, the state of Georgia, and it also talked about uh, these 11 bodies that was found in Jasper County, Florida, where mm-hmm. this plantation owner killed 11 people on his, in, on his plantation in 
who could we tell? Who could we trust? They couldn't trust anyone because let me give you an example of that. If a slaveholder or a plantation owner uh, owned, let's say, 1,500 acres of land, and that slaveholder's brother could have been the sheriff, the mm-hmm. neighbor uh-huh. or whomever could have been the judge. So everyone mm. that was in power was the people that was basically involved with holding these people on these plantations because they had a vested interest to do so. They mm-hmm. needed someone to work these plantations. And so and you might look at some, yeah, mm. look at some of the prison systems now and saying maybe they're just like the involuntary servitude. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's what it is. I can give you another example. You can come to Louisiana at any given time and go to the state capitol and you find uh, trustees and prisoners working there and sometimes they're hired, I mean, they're sent to work on uh, different senators' lawns and different things like that. So, you know, uh, this type of new form of slavery is a very, very, um, you know, when I think about it, it's worse because it's illegal. But at the same time, they find ways to keep people in bondage. I sent you also um, a photograph of where the sharecroppers' coin looked like. Yes. And it was in well into the 60s that some people had never seen what U.S. Mint looked like because when you work on these plantations, you shop at the commissary store. You couldn't go anywhere. And mm-hmm. uh, like May's family, they had to sneak out at night. And that's why a lot of people would leave through the night because they couldn't leave. They just mm-hmm. couldn't leave. Mm-hmm. And for for those of you who may be looking at the, the picture, um, the sharecropper coin, uh, I posted the sharecropper coin because this wasn't real money. This was money that was developed by the, the people who held the individuals in bondage. It wasn't, it wasn't legal tender, if you, if you will. But I, I, how did you even come about uh, getting the sharecropper's coin? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because my father's side of family is from a little place called Fluca, Louisiana. And so whenever you're conducting your own genealogy research, you always go back to the place where your family lived. And mm-hmm. I came across the document uh, that I sent you, a newspaper article, 1926, mm-hmm. where a family, Alan Crawford's family, was sold for $20 from Amit County, Mississippi, to Fluca, Louisiana. And so when I went there to talk to someone uh, that was 100 years old at the time when I went to see him, I wanted to ask him, did he know anything about that family? Well, at that particular time, he wasn't talking about nobody but Jesus at that time. You know, so I guess I was mm-hmm. about five years or ten years too late because he wasn't hearing anything else but uh, talking about Jesus. And so he sent me to another man, and the man said, yes, I remember that story. I remember that family being sold right up on that hill. And so when the man said, look, I have something to show you, and he took out this coin, which today called it a brosine, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, this is the way my family and I was paid through this type of corn here, a rosine. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. This, this, is, this is just unbelievable. And how yes, did this family, I mean, they were sold. Were they sold because they were trying to, they were working off a of debt? Well, paper article said that his daughter, the man's daughter, Crawford Allen's daughter, had gotten away. And so when the people came over from Amet County looking for her, they couldn't find her. So what they did, they made Crawford Allen and his wife and his three little children get out the bed. The children was reported to be nude. And I guess because it was very hot during that time, Bernice, and the family was very poor, but the man was sick. And they made him get up out his bed, and they sold him over into Fluka, Louisiana. But also at the same time, during the same year, uh, Time Magazine wrote an article on the family, and they called them Pickaninnies. That's mm-hmm. how they address it in the article. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so, Bernice, when I embarked upon this journey that has taken me to 27 counties throughout Mississippi. And each time I travel through Mississippi, there's someone that can always point me to someone who just got off a plantation. There was a man named Willie King who was a blues singer. And I remember uh, meeting Willie and driving up to Nockabee, that's what they call it, Nockabee, Mississippi. Oh, my God, it's one of the scariest places I could have ever went. And he said, look, he said, I'm going to put you in contact with Muddy Waters' brother. There's still people on a plantation. Now, that was about six years ago. And so when I went to see Muddy Waters' brother, he pretended that he didn't know what I was talking about. So I got on the phone and I called Willis and Willie, he said, he don't know what I'm talking about. He said, no, you stay in that area. Stay in the area. I'm going to make a phone call. Well, he did. And so I know of two plantations today where people still live on those plantations and work on those plantations. And do they consider themselves free? Well, Bernice, this is how it is for them. They consider themselves as free as they think they are, if if that Mm -hmm. makes sense when they say Mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. Because people ask the question, why can't they leave? Why don't they just leave? Bernice, it's easy to say when you're not in that kind of situation. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy to say, but if this is where your family has been for generations and generations, where are you going to go? And a lot of people are so far behind on education if they yes. can read at all. And those that may read, they're reading. You talk, I'm talking about adults that's reading on a third and second grade level. Mm-hmm. And they have been on these plantations all their life for generations and generations. I know this one family that I'm working with in Mississippi, they've been on the plantation now for five for five generations. Mhm. And, and that's just their way of life. That's their way of life. And so the young the young black person, man who's in his forties, the young white man who's in his forties, they grew up together. So they have this type of bond that they have developed between each other. Uh, neither one won't leave each other uh, because the, he he now allow 
the elderly people to live on a plantation free of rent. Mm-hmm. And those of mm-hmm. the, some people work on a plantation, but there's others that work off the plantation. Now, mm-hmm. in the same area, let me tell you about this. You can pass this what would look like a subdivision because it looks, it looks like it's kind of modernized a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, um, let me just say this. It looks so modernized, and the lady said, you see that? That's a plantation over there. And I looked again, and I remember what this man said to me. He said, Antoinette, go back and tell people to stop looking for the big house, the oak trees, the moss. They need to look in different areas. And when I looked at that subdivision, I went back there, and I had clothes in my my trunk to get the people. And I said, oh, I'm looking for a plantation uh, people. Somebody told me somebody needs some help. The lady said, you're on the plantation. That was it. Um, and that's what it was. And also, I was just reading something in, with uh, Sandra Tree Girl said in the People magazine a few years ago. She ran, on, ran across an article. Well, that was my article. And mm-hmm. so the People magazine article that she's talking about was the woman made who was held a slave. And the, mm-hmm. the title of that article was The Last Slaves of Mississippi. That article was published in 2007. Mm-hmm. And so I was reporting this long before Doug Blackman came out with the book Slavery by Another Name. Mm-hmm. But Bernice, what stopped me from writing my book at that particular time, there were so many people that need food, yes. clothes, yes. shoes. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go there and say, oh, I'm writing my book. Let me just stop. I can't do this. I couldn't mm-hmm. do that. I mm-hmm. actually had to help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. I remember with yeah. the coat drives and how yeah. you were, you know, taking big trucks of yeah. uh, supplies to help right. the people. I, I, do re- mm-hmm. I do recall. So I understand exactly where you had to go at that particular time. Uh, and do you know but, Dr. Ron Walters out of um, Washington, D.C., traveled to Mississippi with me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do, I do remember you, you talking about that. Well, Antoinette, we're going to take a quick little break and come back, and we're going to continue this discussion. And I want the chatters, or even if you're already on the line, please feel free to call in. We're going to just continue to talk about what we can find in those records, and how we should go about looking for our missing ancestors. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few minutes.
Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Now remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Uh, You can also find the archive shows on my website, JeannieBRoots.com. Now, I have opened the lines for questioning, and if you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. I will call out your area code uh, if I see you online, and then you will be live on the show. Well, Antoinette, we have a question or a comment coming out of the uh, site, and really we want to know more about the amazing work that you have done with the Doja Boys. So could you please share with people what's going on with the Doja Boys and how did you get involved? Okay, I got involved once again because I saw the word pinage um, when I was looking for something online. And when I came across that that um, word pinage, I said, those were reform school. And I did a little bit more research on it, and I found that these children – was used as peons to work in uh, as modern-day slaves in agriculture. And so I said, this cannot be real. Please do not tell me this. My research had never revealed anything about a reform school uh, in the documents at the, at the National Archives. So mm-hmm. when I reached out to a man named Roger Dean Kaiser, who had published the first book on what was taking place at Dozer, he put me in contact with some of the black men that was there as boys. And, oh, what did I find? I went to the state archives. As a matter of fact, I was talking to you that day when I was there and went into Uh some of their agriculture reports and couldn't believe the amount of money that the town, I mean, that the school was making off these little boys, and that was murders that took place there. So the latest thing I, I can report here is that they have used cadaver dogs to reveal uh, some of the bodies at the school. They found 55 bodies, and they're still um, looking to exhume more bodies. They're going to make a report, a public report, about what their finding, what their findings was uh, in September. I was told, but. In So, Antoinette, why don't you give us an update on what has happened since uh, you reported to us that the uh, cadaver dogs were out, they were in the cemetery, and just give us an update. Well, thank you, Bernice, for having me as a guest on your show. It's been almost one year now that they have been zooming the bodies of the children. They have identified one of the boys uh, that was missing, and from my understanding, they have uh, extended the search to one more year. 
there's bodies there all over the place. And so they found more bodies than what they was anticipating. And so we have one more year now as anthropologists um, um, give a report uh, from from Florida. And Antoinette, are family members being uh, notified that they have actually identified these, the remains? Yes, yes. Some of the families submitted their DNA uh, who had relatives or sons, uh, brothers that was there, and they went missing. So some of these families volunteered to give uh, to submit their DNA last summer. Uh, to see if any of the DNA would match with their DNA, and one of them did come back as a match. Wow. Well, I mean, I know that this was uh, uh, one of those uh, missions that you certainly felt it was important for you to bring this story uh, to the public. And we're always talking about genealogy, and we're going back and and unfortunately, this was something that you came up on. Just tell us, I mean, because I know you have the book out, but also tell us, how did you start working on this project in the first place? Well, the project, uh, because of penance, and whenever, uh, like I said early on, uh, whenever I hear the word penance or read the word penance associated with any school or any institution, it always uh, attracts my attention because know what that means. It just means that there's some involuntary servitude going on. And so out of all my research, of course, I know of children uh, in, uh, that were held in the sharecropping system. But when you learn that, the, that a school, a state-run facility uh, institution was ran by the state, uh, was using children as peons, uh, as children that were slaves, and it was all types of slaves that they serve agriculture, sex slaves, uh, service slaves, prostitution, you name it, that it was there. Well, that, that's uh, just heartbreaking, but certainly I'm glad that it was exposed. And, and hopefully other reform schools and other schools throughout the United States, if they have similar atrocities, that they will be exposed. And people like you who are writing about it and the people in Florida who took up the, the mission and the, the attorney generals and the various people who started sharing the stories, I am glad they, that they came forward. Uh, to share that, that those stories with us. Yeah, well, I am, I'm happy to. Right. Well, Antoinette, take us back to the Department of Justice records and share with everyone just how should we go about looking at these records. And you, you mentioned some of the record groups, but tell us again what's in those files and how big are the files and exactly which of the archives you went to? I went to the National Archives in College Park uh, in Washington, D.C., and certainly uh, it is record group 60. And inside those that record group, you will find letters to the U.S. uh, United States presidents, letters from private citizens, attorney general files, Department of Justice files, FBI reports, and some letters from different governors or constables uh, that was complaining about people that was held in conditions uh, as involuntary servitude slavery. 
you will find murders that took place in these uh, files. Uh, you will find where, who, who held them, who they hold, what happened to some of them in many cases. Uh, you will find murder cases. You will find people that was beat. Uh, next, you will just find many different things that would have gave you uh, a lot of detailed information about a family member if you were looking for your family member and had no idea what happened to them. You know, you you know, uh, there was records from convict leasing camps. So there's so many different records that we have not begun to really, really look at studies for genealogy. But it would serve for anyone that would be looking for their family members that would share coppers and they may know what plantation they was on, if there was any complaints from that plantation or anything about that plantation on a federal level would be in those spot. Yes, yes. And uh, Antoinette, just once again, tell people how they can get your book. Yeah, they can go to Amazon.com or either they can go to Antoinette directly uh, from the website. Um, and that would be, you know, from Amazon or directly through uh, the website of com. And, and Bernice, let me say, that book really revealed to me, and those documents revealed to me, that although slavery was abolished in 1863 or 1865 in Texas, there were so many families that did not get out of, uh, uh, was not emancipated from slavery. They was they was caught up in that second new coming of slavery as uh, one of the representatives for abolished penance committees uh, reported. He said, "This is worse than slavery. This is the new coming of slavery." Yes, and so many of us would say, "Well, what happened when freedom came?" Well, freedom did not come, as you're saying, for a lot of people. They were put right back in slavery. Even when you look at some of the Freedmen Bureau labor contracts, they're put right back in slavery. Well, that was the beginning. That exactly, the labor contracts was the beginning of a new coming of slavery for many families and individuals, um, and and especially if there was a mother. That was at the time, well, her child grew up in that plantation. No different than any, than any child that would have grown up in the legal system of slavery. That's right, because a lot of the kids went into these uh, apprenticeship programs. Uh, I don't right. know why I would call it a program, but that's what they were signing over these kids. So uh, so you're right, but the, the, the fact is, is that the documentation is there at Archives 2, and record group 60. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And we should start to look at these records in a genealogical, uh, in a genealogy, genealogical study because, one, it tells you the person's name, if they had children, how many children was left on the plantation, because a lot of mothers ran off and left their children. And sometimes the father ran off and left the family. And sometimes it took them a year or two to go back to get them or just to get someone to hear what they were complaining about, you know, go back. And it, and, and it wasn't just a few people. It was uh, hundreds of thousands of people left in those type of conditions. 16 that's, states, that's right. according to my research, and 27 counties in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. 15, you say 16 states and... 16 states. Yes, yes. 
And, uh, you know, I, I received a, uh, an announcement today uh, from Fold 3 FBI case files. Like a good mystery, then take a look through F, uh, Fold 3 collection of old FBI case files written between 1908 and 1922. So those files are available uh, at Fold 3 for individuals that have the subscription to Fold 3. So you can go in and look at those records online, mm-hmm. at least some of them. Some of them. Right, right, some of them. Yes, some and, of them. And those cases are very, very difficult because, you know, um, and I can give you an example of the, the case in Jasper County, Georgia, where uh, this man, um, this young black boy, just the white owner took him under his wing and had him to kill several people. And they tied this rope uh, with these heavy rocks around their legs and they would throw them in the river. And so some terrible things that went on uh, at that particular time. And I think what happened, uh, when one of the persons got away, it was one of the, the, the guys, uh, Clyde. I've lost sound, Antoinette. You're still on. Yes, well, Antoinette will have to call back. We've lost sound, but uh, certainly these are records that we want you to listen to. And so, Antoinette, when when she calls back on, we'll continue to talk to her. But in the meantime, uh, we do have Yvette Porter Moore, and she's going to be launching her new blog talk radio show on the twenty fifth. At nine o'clock, so I hope that everyone will tune in to Yvette. Antoinette, are you back on? I'm still here. Can you hear me? Okay, we couldn't hear you, so I mentioned uh, Yvette Portamore's uh, sure. show that's coming sure. on. So, Antoinette, you were saying something, and we kind of lost you. But you want to go back and tell us what you were just saying? Yeah, I was talking about the two thousand acres that uh, this one man, John Williams, had in. Jasper County, Mississippi, and when one of the persons got away and found their freedom, uh, the young the young man, Clyde, thought that uh, he had got away and went to Africa because they just didn't realize that it was possible to get away because mm-hmm. he just assumed that the man owned all the land in that county. Yes. Yes, so we we just have so many records, and, and it does take us, as you have said to me so many times, you you got to get away from that safe genealogy, just looking at the census records and looking at the marriage records and the death certificates. You need to really start doing a little more digging into the other uh, record groups that are available that have a great deal of genealogical value in them. Well, Antoinette, do you have any tips that you would like to share with the listeners before we close out tonight on how to go about reviewing these records? I I would just like to say if the uh, listeners can just really ask their family members if they would share croppers to talk about it more in detail. A lot of family members really don't want to talk about that period and that time because it was such a, a very difficult time. So if, you, if you're looking for that missing family member, you haven't found them, and you have someone that you can talk to to collect the oral history, I would do that. And if you happen to be in Washington, D.C. and want to go there and look, make sure that 
you go online and look at what you want to look at, pull those records, uh, uh, fill out the forms, and have those records pulled. And just prepare to spend at least two to three days looking at those records. It's not an index. You just It's just by folder group. Uh, so you may find uh, something that pertains to Louisiana or Mississippi in several different folders. Okay, so that's really good advice, to go online first. And to just look at the go, you're talking about go to the NARA online or go to Foes Three online. Either yes. one of them. Yes. Okay. Either one of and them then Record Group Sixty Two. Right. So remember Record Group Sixty. It's sixty or sixty two. It's sixty. It's sixty. Record Group Sixty, and and just determine what what you're looking for. So that when you get to the National Archives, you have your form completed, and they can pull the file for you, and you will have the original documents to review uh, in Archives 2, which is located in College Park. So uh, do I have any questions, any comments coming from the chatters? Do you have any questions for Antoinette before we close out tonight's show? I don't see any any questions coming in, so I would certainly like to thank you so much, Antoinette, for joining the show tonight and for well. participating in the chat. And listen, people, so much is going on just right now. Obviously, you're seeing what's happening in Ferguson 10, 20, 30 years from now. We will be looking at the files, and we will be looking at what happened. And what what's happening now is that a lot of stuff is being documented, just as it was documented in 1920, 1960, 1980. We're going to see this information, and those files are extremely valuable to us. So remember, everyone, we do have that opportunity to look at the files, to study the files, and to almost say history is repeating itself. Wouldn't you say that, Antoinette? Yes, yes. History has a way of repeating itself, it, and we're it, seeing the civil rights movement all over again. We're seeing it all over again, all over again. It's just that we have a younger group of people who don't even remember because they were not born. And so we have to keep telling that history, sharing that history, because it is it is extremely important to all of us. So thank you, Antoinette, and thank remember, so everyone, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the Genealogy and History Forum of AfroGenius.com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. Also, remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning, Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And, of course, we have an Yvette Porter Moore's new blog talk radio show that will air on Monday at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Please tune in to listen to her. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Good night, everyone.